want to share with you a story today that is 1,965 years old. It's a story of a couple who makes great impact in the kingdom of God. In fact, I would dare say that none of us would be in this room if it were not for this couple. Now, you may or may not think much about them, but God thought great things about them. It's the life of a couple named Aquila and Priscilla. Now, we don't know a whole lot about their background, but we do know that Aquila lived a rough life. Now, that stands to reason. Any man who's named Aquila is going to live a rough life. <laughs> he actually comes from an area called Pontus. It's just south of the Black Sea on the northern portion of Turkey. It would be in this region that uh, Pontus began to live out his life and discover, perhaps, then where Jesus Christ was coming from, what that meant in his life, how he would dedicate himself there. He's a Jewish man by his birth, but he becomes a Messianic Jew, one who trusts in Jesus Christ. Now that man, Aquila, meets a girl, sort of one of these boy-meets-girl kind of stories. But she's not from that area. She's actually from Rome, which is a long way away. We don't know much about her background, unlike her husband, who we know is a Jewish background. The writer of Acts, Luke, doesn't tell us much about her. And the fact that he does not include that she herself is Jewish leads us to believe that she is not of Jewish heritage. In fact, her name is a common name. Priscilla is a common name among Roman aristocrats. So she probably comes from a very different background than her husband. I'm always interested in how people meet. I look forward to the day that we might get to discover of this couple. How in the world did you meet together? And how did you come to find your commonality in the Savior, Jesus Christ? We don't really know how they came to discover Christ, but I've got my wonders. Like, I wonder if when Peter stood on the day of Pentecost, as the Holy Spirit was indwelling him and those around him, when he stood and began to proclaim about that day and about the Messiah himself, was, was the couple there? Was Priscilla there? Was Aquila there? Were they together? Were they separate? Were they even there? The scripture tells us that, that some who were in there, who heard that message that day, some of them were from Pontus. So just maybe. Maybe they heard the crescendo of Peter's message when he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and that you will receive the Holy Spirit. Maybe they heard that, and maybe they trusted. Maybe they did individually. Or maybe it was the dispersion of the Jews as they were coming to understand the Messiah and great persecution was coming from their own heritage people and they were forced to flee Jerusalem in what's called the Diaspora. Maybe that was it. In the dispersion of the Jews, they heard as some went as far as Pontus and all the way over to Europe as they were settling, they were settling with the gospel. And maybe it was then that they heard about the Messiah. Or maybe it was the missionary journey of Peter that's mentioned one time as being in Pontus. When they heard Peter, who is on mission with the gospel, share this great word of the Savior. We really don't know. But one day in the future, in the new heaven and the new earth, I say let's get together. And let's go look for Priscilla and Aquila. And we ask 
So how does a good Jewish boy meet up with an aristocrat woman from Rome and come to Jesus Christ and live out their days in the flourish of the kingdom of God? I want to know how that happened. It would be one of the discoveries of the, of the life in eternity with God. Well, Aquila and Priscilla were living in Rome. That's where they settled. They moved some time out of Pontus, at least he did, and settled in Rome there. While they were in Rome, they uh, began to be under persecution uh, from the Romans. There was a real anti-Semitic movement through uh, Rome at that point. It's not uncommon. As you know, they weren't really uh, lovers of each other. The Jews really despised those Romans for they were settling and oppressing there in Judea. But they also saw them as unclean people. They saw their life to be filled with immorality and they saw the um, idol worship to be really something that they rejected. So they, they didn't want to be in the ways of the Romans. They didn't want to go in their homes. They didn't want to be in the homes of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles wanted nothing to do with the Jews either. So we find that uh, Claudius actually rises up and he cast out of Rome all the Jews who were living there. And they were forced to go in different directions. There was a real animosity they had built to a a climax where he was done with it, and he forced them out. That was about AD 52. And Priscilla and Aquila actually leave Rome by persecution and become refugees in an area of Corinth, which is obviously south. And there they find that uh, God is already at work. And what I mean by that is Paul was on a missionary journey. It was one of several that he had been on. If you remember, in that journey, Paul takes a movement north of Antioch of Syria, which is his first real sending church of the gospel, and he takes that north, and he begins to go through the mountain regions, and he uh, ends up in a, sorry, hit the wrong button there, ends up in an area that is the Tarsus Mountains, and he he stays there in that region. He begins to proclaim the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He goes over into Ephesus and does the same. In fact, there are a number of churches that get planted by Paul in this journey. But he has this longing to move the gospel forward, and he does, and it sort of takes this kind of movement as he's going into the area north of Greece and uh, over, wants to go over to Rome, obviously. But all along the way, he hits moments of, of real persecution, real rejection. There's some seasonings of um, real gospel flavor where people receive the good news and they, they boldly come to faith and he plants a church there, he invests, invests in leaders, but then there are many times that he is absolutely rejected and his message is rejected and people want nothing to do with him nor of this gospel and they beat him literally or they chase him out of town literally, they imprison him, it's a really rough time. So along the way, he moves through Macedonia, and he ends up going south all along the way to Macedonia, Berea, to Athens. And as he's doing so, people would say, you know, he's not very successful. Well, he ends up imprisoned most of the time or beaten down. I just need to remind us that success in the kingdom of God work isn't based on somebody else's response. Success and failure is never based on someone else's response. In the work of the gospel, success and failure is based on obedience. Did I do what I was called to do? And if I've done what I've been called to do, then the results are up to God. It's His Word that transforms people, not me and my Word. It's His Word. 
It's his light that will dispel darkness, not me. So am I obedient to go with his light? Am I obedient to go with his word? And that's what Paul does. He just goes. And while he's going, he has significant failures as the world would see it. One time he's in the midst of a community where there's a girl who's possessed by a demon. And because he has compassion on her, he casts that demon out. Now, that caused quite a controversy. In fact, a lot of hatred came against Paul in that way. You and I would say, why would somebody be upset and hate him for casting a demon out of a little girl? I'll tell you why. Because there were some who were making profits off her. And they beat him mercilessly. And they threw him in prison, chained him. And there he is with his cohort, Silas, singing out praises to God. God does the miraculous. You remember this? God does the miraculous, and he's set free. He goes on into Berea, goes on into Athens, and all those times there's mixed reviews until he ends up in a small area called Corinth. Now we've got two different stories running. We've got a story of a couple, Priscilla and Aquila, and we have the story of the Apostle Paul, and we have those two stories that are about to come together in Corinth. Now, you and I need to remember that all along the way, God is at work and God is doing something. He's weaving them together. So let's see this unfold in the scripture. Let's go to Acts chapter 18 and begin in verse 1 and just read the narrative as God gives it to us. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus. Recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. When they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and he went to the house of a man named Tychus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Don't be afraid, but go on speaking and don't be silent. For I am with you, boy, if you're one to underline, this might be a good section to underline, and no one will attack you or harm, bring harm to you, for I have many in this city who are my people. That is a moment that Paul must have said, yes, God is weaving together a network and it will provide for me all the resources that I need to stay here and let the gospel impact this community. By the way, that's what God is doing in Gadsden and in Southside and in Rainbow City and in Glencoe and in Hoax Bluff and throughout all of Etowah County. He is bringing many people together to form a network to be empowered together for the gospel. I want us to be part of that network, certainly God's intention. And then he stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So Aquila and Priscilla are tent makers 
They are followers of Jesus Christ. They are certainly on a journey through life, and that journey is often very difficult. They've experienced difficulty, but all along the way, they have known the steps to be marked with God. And the Apostle Paul is on a journey in life as well. His steps are in the steps in the way of Jesus Christ. He too experiences great difficulty in his life. But he knows looking back along the way, God is with him every step of the way. These three people are coming together. What they did not know was that God was moving them together to form together a great team. Where they needed each other the most, God was going to provide each other for the other ones. God just does that makes provision for us in many ways. Aquila and Priscilla were new to the city of Corinth, new to establishing their home. They had taken refuge there because they had to as refugees from Rome. They knew what it was like to be persecuted. They knew what it was like to be run out of town. They knew what it was like to go to a new place. So when they talked to Paul, their heart must have been given to him because he's in the same scenario with them. Uh, It's different places that he's running from, but it's still the same persecution, still the same cause. And so they invite him in. And they don't just invite him into their house, they invite him into their business. They have the same blue-collar jobs, they're tent makers, that's their trade. So they are invited in and begin to live together. They open their house to him, open their business to him, and Paul begins to open up his understanding of Scripture to them. Everybody's feeding off of what the needs of the others are being provided for by the Spirit of God, and it's a beautiful thing. I don't know what made them consider all of this, but I know that God was considering it, for God had many people in that city that was forming a great network of people. Can I remind you that that's what God is doing today? There are some of you that are coming to Meadowbrook, and you wonder what God is up to. It could be that God is up to forming the network of you being right here in his body, connected to his body at Meadowbrook, because we need each other. We need the gifts and the experience and the talents and the supernatural way that the Spirit manifests himself through one another so that together we might make a whole and we would be better together, empowered as one together than if we were individuals. So it might be that God is leading you here. Some of you have been led here a long time ago and you make an impact. Some of you have been led here a long time ago, and maybe you're wondering what your impact is going to be. God is working. Let's say press towards him. So when Quilla and Priscilla, they open their lives to him, Paul opens his life to them, and he begins to work with them. He begins to pour into them as a disciple disciple or two disciples. Paul begins to fashion that. He's teaching in the synagogues. He's teaching in in the tent place. And for 18 months, he's pouring into them. He poured to them all that it is that a disciple needs to have in order to pour into other people. And that's the rhythm of the gospel. Oftentimes you and I think of the gospel in a wrong way. We think of the gospel in a linear way. And God wants us to think of it in a cyclic way. Let me see if I can help you understand what I'm trying to say there. Let's say we are given the gospel and by the Spirit who pours out faith, we connect with the gospel. We come to an understanding of our sin. We come to a recognition of God's holiness and His righteousness and our call, but discover that only God can bring the change in us that's needed. 
that only God can make a sinner into a saint. Only God could make someone who is filled with lawlessness to be credited with lawfulness. Only God can do that. And so we come to a place of understanding God has done that through Jesus Christ. So we submit ourselves to Him. We surrender our life in the way we used to live it and want to live it, and we surrender it to God to live life as He wants. So He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new being. He takes away the sin and he puts into us righteousness and he gives us the Holy Spirit who dwells within us and that spirit empowers us to live out the way that God wants us to live. And we think of it in those terms. But my friends, it's not just linear like that. It's not you're saved and you're going to be in heaven one day. You need to think of it in a cycle because that's the gospel. God wants wants you to connect Sorry, my hand hit the wrong thing here. God wants you to connect to his gospel, and he is pouring out faith so that you can connect. And he is bringing about transformation for you who will surrender your lives to him and have faith and trust that he alone can do that. And he gives you that, but it's meant to go further. He wants you to grow in that connection. Now, I would say growth is to be discipled. So God gives you the connection of the Spirit, gives you the gospel, you treasure the gospel, you walk in the gospel, and now he begins to equip you in the way of the gospel. He begins to reveal to you how you can grow in the gospel and how you can be discipled. And it's not just that you're growing and you're discipled, but that you would begin to serve. And in this case, we're talking about discipler rather than being discipled alone. So now we're seeing the cycle that God wants for us. He wants us to connect to his gospel in faith. He wants us to grow in his gospel with faith to the point that we can serve others by growing them so that they too might come to faith and multiply in their growth and multiply in their discipling and service. And this is what Paul is doing. He's saying, not only am I sharing the gospel, but I'm growing you in the gospel. And I'm growing you in the gospel so that you can serve in the gospel so that you too might grow others. When we say what we do at Meadowbrook, we root it down to three words. We connect people to Christ and his church. We grow them as disciples so that they can be disciplers. And we give them places of service in a way that brings glory to God. So this is the process of the gospel by which we are called to. And it's certainly the process that Ananias, uh, excuse me, Priscilla and Aquila are, are finding themselves. So a year and a half, Paul is with them, investing in them to the point that they can be the investors, to the point that the disciples can become the disciplers, and that's exactly what happens. Paul says, hey, let's get up and go. And By the leading of the Holy Spirit, he moves them to a place called Ephesus. And you know what they do in Ephesus? They do the same thing that they did in Corinth. They open their house. They set up shop. And they begin to minister the gospel as disciplers. And one day they're in Ephesus and they hear a young preacher boy. And man, is he a gifted speaker. And they hear him, his name is Apollos, and they hear, but something's not quite right. Apollos is from Egypt, Alexandria to be exact. And it's an amazing narrative about the Jewish culture that's in Egypt. In fact, when I was there a couple of years ago, I saw many of the paintings on walls, uh, in temples, on columns, and all kinds of paintings 
uh, that date back thousands of years ago. And then I saw some that were dated back to the first century. They were Christian paintings, Christian symbols. Some of them came out of Jerusalem as they were dispersed uh, under the persecution and settled in those places and put their own markings on the walls. Some of them might have been those Jews who lived in that culture, in that community, who had come to faith in Jesus Christ. There is no question in my mind that the Spirit of God was working in them, and he left his mark. Apollos was one of those. Rarely does the Bible say that there's somebody who is gifted in the Word. This time the Bible says that Apollos is gifted in the Word. He understands the elements of the Old Testament. He has great faith. You know, the people of faith in the Old Testament receive righteousness in their faith, just like us post-resurrection receive righteousness by our faith. Apollos was one of those guys. He trusted that God was going to send the Messiah. He trusted all the words of the prophets and all the works of the law. He trusted that, and he could speak to that. And so he's up into the region of Ephesus, and he's sharing that message But Priscilla and Aquila recognize that something's not quite right. And what's not right is he only knows up to John the Baptist and the call of baptism that John gave, which is a baptism of repentance. It's a baptism leading up to the Messiah. And so Aquila and Priscilla don't downcast him in front of everybody. They say, hey, Apollos, come on over for dinner. Let's talk for a little while. And they set him straight to help him to discover the whole truth. In other words, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. Or as Mike Rowe would say, and that's the way I heard it, all right? So they're telling him the more excellent way. They're telling him about the Messiah who has come. His name is Jesus. He's from Nazareth. And he lived perfectly, and he died so that sinners could have that sinner's death placed on him and that the righteous living of Jesus could be placed on them. They told him about that. They told about his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his seated at the right hand of the Father. They told him about the Holy Spirit who came to indwell mankind. They told him about the framing up of the church of Jesus Christ, which is the ministry of Christ. They told him all that. You see what's happening there? Because it's really cool. The people who were discipled by Paul are now discipling others because that's the cycle. That's the way the gospel is meant to work. Not in a linear way, I'm just going to heaven, but I am cycling. I am receiving the truth, growing in the truth, serving in the truth so that others could receive the truth, grow in the truth, serve in the truth, so that others could connect, grow, serve. So other, you see how that goes? It's meant to be a big cycle. And they are learning that cycle. So when they're in Ephesus, they are discipling people like Apollos. And can I just remind us that Apollos turns out to be an amazing preacher, an amazing leader in the church. In fact, there are so many people that just clamor for him. You know why? Because he took his giftedness of speaking and he multiplied it with the power of the Holy Spirit and he took it to an whole other level. Because that's what God does. He can take the natural things that he's gifted you in and he can bring a supernaturalness to it in a way that only God can do it. And he was doing that in him. So when they're in Ephesus, they open their homes and they make that a local church. They live hospitably. They invite people to engage the Word of God in their homes, and the kingdom of God flourishes from their living room and from their shop. And that's our call. That the kingdom of God would flourish from our living room to our workshops, to our workplace, to our school place. 
that we would set up the kingdom right everywhere we are. And we would pray as Jesus taught us to pray, let your kingdom come on earth, right here, Lord, in this classroom, in this business, in this shop, in this field, in this hospital. Let your kingdom come right here. At some point, Aquila and Priscilla were sent to Rome again, ahead of Paul. So now they've been exiled out of Rome, settled as a refugee in Corinth, move over to Ephesus, begin ministry there, and now, by the Spirit's movement, he moves them back to Rome. So they leave Rome because of persecution, but now they're called to go back there. And why would they go back there? Well, first, Claudius is no longer the leader. And they can go back. And secondly, now that they have been discipled by, a, by a Paul himself, they want to go back. They want to be obedient. Well, aren't there going to be people who hate them there? Yes. Isn't there going to be persecution waiting for them there? Yes. Won't they have to flee again? Yes. But if that's what the Spirit of God wants them to do, that's what they're going to do. And now that they have a more excellent discipling way, they are willing to go back there to make the kingdom impact. In fact, before Paul got to Rome, he sent a letter. And he said to them in Romans 16, 3, Greet Prisca. Now that's her shortened name. I sort of like Prisca. Uh, but at any rate, greet her. Greet Aquila. My fellow workers in Christ who risked their necks for my life. We don't know what the details of that is, but obviously they put life, their life on the line for Paul. To whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Man, can you imagine that? It's one thing for the Apostle Paul to give thanks to God for you, but it would be a whole other thing to say not only I give thanks, but all the Gentile churches say gratefulness, great thanksgiving to you. And greet the church that's in your home, he says. So what an impact they make. After some time they leave, though, they're forced to. I kind of think that it was at the point where Nero burned the city of Rome down. Remember that? He really wanted to have a big building project. And there's no reason to have a building project. So he sets the city ablaze and then he blames it on Christians. He gets two for one. He gets to rebuild Rome and he gets to blame Christians and show hatred towards them again. And I think it's then that they leave another time. They head back down to Ephesus. And now the ministry of a preacher, pastor, whose name is Timothy, is established. And so they go. And you know what they do when they get there in Ephesus? They come alongside of Timothy, no doubt. And they have the church. And they encourage the church. And they serve with great hospitality. Now, that's a long story. It only comes from six small passages. And you kind of have to piece it together. But once you do, you recognize here's a blue-collar couple who now have had major impact on the kingdom of God as refugees to the Apostle Paul, to Apollos, one of the greatest preachers of all time, and to Timothy, one of the greatest pastors of all time. Now that's you. That's you, unassuming as you might be. That's you, what God wants to do. He wants to connect you in the gospel. He wants to grow that gospel in you as a disciple. And he wants you to be at the point that you can be a disciple to do other people. And then you just invest. Well, what does that mean? You open your house. You invite people in. 
You show hospitality. You open the word with them. You ask them, so what are you reading in God's word these days? Tell me about it. Let me tell you about what I'm reading. And you ask, how can your life be shaped by this word today? Let's pray together. And you maybe worship together. You engage people in your home. And you do it in your shop. You do it in your workplace. You engage people in the gospel. You treat that place as a sacred place because it is. And that the kingdom of God is going to flourish there in that place. Could I leave you today with four challenges? They're in your handout. You might want to make some notations as God is speaking to you. Number one, understand and know the providential work of God in your life. What's the providence of God? What is this providential care that he has for us? Well, I know that God has a call for us. And sometimes... Life itself brings questions to that call. In fact, there have been times in your life, in my life, be it hardship or whatever, we might come to a conclusion and say, God, where are you in this? God, what are you doing? I don't understand why I'm suffering in this way or why I'm hurting in this way or why I'm not well in this. What are you doing? All right, we may not understand it when it's going on, but here's what I know to be true. God's providential care is in play. God is at work, he is moving, he's stirring. You may not be able to understand it, but you just have to trust that there is a movement that God is leading you to, and it might be you coming out of Rome as a refugee to Corinth. God was already moving in that direction so that you could link up with the Apostle Paul if that was in you and your age, or it might be somebody else. Just trust what God is doing in your life. God has a providence for you. It's a call, it's a glorious call. And he has treasured that in you. Just trust him every step. Well, I don't like where I am. Just trust him. I don't understand where I am. Just trust him. I don't know where I'm going. Just trust him. His providence is for you. Now, I know there were difficult days, months, and years for Priscilla and Aquila. But when they looked back, they would not change a day because God's providence was moving and they did not know it. They would rather have great kingdom impact than a great enjoyment in this world. God's providence. Number two, live intentionally to experience togetherness. Now, I know that is not spelled right. And for you who are grammarians, you're going to chastise me, but obviously you see that I'm trying to make a point there. That two are stronger than one. Isn't that what the scripture says from Solomon, the wisest man in all the world, that God gave him great wisdom? Two is better than one. So togetherness, all right, first and foremost, you and the Holy Spirit is togetherness. First, be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I know that there are many of us that want to make a change in this world and want to have an impact in the world, and you can but you will not be able to do it in your own strength. It's you linked to the Holy Spirit. That too becomes empowered of one and you will do amazing things. But this is not about us doing amazing things. We've been seeing that uh, the last couple of weeks with Simon Peter. This is about two people doing amazing things, a husband and wife in this case. So to togetherness is Priscilla and Aquila coming together so that they might have greatest impact on the kingdom of God together. Be intentional about 
togetherness. So together you'll seek the Holy Spirit and together you will move in service to the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God. Together, husband and wife saying, how can we open our home? How can we disciple people? How can we engage on the mission field locally? How can we do that globally? How can we do this together? Being very intentional about that. Or maybe families doing it together. Not everybody's the lone ranger in this thing. We're together. We're together as a family. Individuals, father, mother, children, or whatever combination thereof you have in your family. You purpose together to do great ministry. I would encourage you to do that. Number three, put God above all things and treasure Him in the midst of all things. Nothing's going to take precedent over God. You're going to put Him in His rightful position as first and foremost. And that means that if He calls you to leave a place that is comfortable for you, like Ephesus, where the church is flourishing and things are going well, and he calls you to go to Rome where there is going to be difficulty, you don't put things above God. You put God in the midst of your things, and you treasure him there. So you don't put your business above God. You treasure God in the midst of your business. And you don't put your stuff above that of God. That's idolatry. You use stuff with God in the midst of it so that you can serve his kingdom and you can prosper his kingdom and you can bear light in his kingdom more. So put God above all things and treasure God in the midst of all things. And then number four, invest in people as if they will be greatly used by God one day in the kingdom and his world. Invest in people as if they're going to be the Apollos. Invest in people as if they're going to be the Timothys. I've told the story probably way too many times for you to be interested right now, but I can't help but share it again. In my fifth grade Sunday school class, I had a teacher whose name was Frances Gibbs. She was no bigger than a minute, about this tall, less than 100 pounds. Looked like an old Tweety bird. Sweet. But that woman invested in me in the fifth grade like I was one day going to be a preacher. She gave me the first opportunity to preach and teach to a fifth grade Sunday school class of my peers. There's other people in my life. They invested in me as if God was going to do something in my life for his kingdom. And that's where we should be. Investing in people. Ah, she's not going to account to much? Or are you kidding me? He's not going to account to much? Oh, invest in them. Those are the kind of people that God loves to turn. He loves to take the most blemished, rusty, not presentable people and bring a radical transformation in their heart, change them from the inside out, change their purpose and their passion in life, pour into them the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word, and set them out to a blaze of glory so that everybody would say, only God could do that. Invest in people that way. So when you're changing a dirty diaper over in the preschool area, and when you're telling that little two-year-old, stop biting 
And when you're redirecting that one that keeps going out the door trying to run away, you just invest knowing that God just may use that one for His kingdom in ways that you would have never imagined. And when they get up into kids' area and you begin to serve into them when you're thinking that little snotty kid i can't believe that he'll ever amount to anything that may be the very person that becomes the one to lead this church one day and when you're wrestling in the student ministry and you're thinking i don't want to be around them they have attitudes well one day they're going to get out of puberty and they're not going to have that attitude anymore and it just may be that god is going to use them in an exponential way for his kingdom and you and i will step back and say only god could do that but man am i ever grateful that i had the investment that i did in that kid Invest in people like God is wanting to do it for His purposes, for His kingdom. So how are you going to start this? How are you going to take this narrative and those challenges and begin the step, begin the journey today? Number one, right, start where you are in the process. Some of you are just now beginning to understand the connection of the gospel. You're just now reckoning that you're a sinner who is going to stand before the holy God one day and you're going to be held accountable to every sin. Recognize that the gospel is God's mercy to you for that day. And that God in his great love for you and his great grace for you is willing to remove the sin in your life and credit you with the righteousness of Jesus. How is that so? By faith that he alone can do that and has done that. And you give your life to him from this day forward. God, if you'll send your son to die for me that I might live in you, that's exactly what I'll do. That's connecting with the gospel. So today you're here and you're connecting to the gospel. That's where you ought to start. We want to help you. In a moment, we're going to all stand up. And I know it's a little awkward. We're going to begin singing. And in the awkwardness of that moment, there are going to be people standing down front. And if you're connecting with the gospel, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to step forward and just say to one of them, I'm connecting to the gospel today. Because we don't want you to stay in that connection point. We want you to move in the cycle. We want you to begin growing. Growing as a disciple. And we want to help you with that. Some of you have already connected to Christ by faith. And you're in the moment where you need to grow. You've been kind of stagnant for a long time. Not growing in your faith. And I want you to hear me say, we long to disciple you. I'm telling you, it's what I do from the platform. It's discipleship as I'm leading. But this is not the best way to disciple. The best way to disciple is to sit side by side in somebody's living room. Side by side at somebody's kitchen table with a cup of coffee and the Bible wide open. Side by side and say, I don't understand that. Well, I don't either, but let's pray and ask God to give us wisdom. Side by side, I read today, here's what I got. What did you get? This is what I understood in my life, this is what God is doing to shape my life with this word. Hey, let's pray about that. That side-by-side discipleship. You want to know where to start? Go to your life group leader. You're not in life group? Get into a life group. We'll help you. Go to the connection site right outside in the hallway. There's a little round table. We'll help you right there. We'll get, get you connected to a life group. Go to your life group leader and say, I want to be discipled. And they will partner you with somebody who will disciple you. And if they miss it and they don't do it, you come to me and I will personally link you with somebody who is already a discipler and they'll invest into your life. Let us do that. And if you're being discipled, then now's the time for you to move on be a discipler and side by side invest in other people 
And so that's the first place to start. Where are you in the process, and what's the next step for you in this cycle process of the gospel? Secondly, have the conversation with your spouse or with your family about what we've talked about today. Now, it might be awkward. I get it. But say to them, so what do you think about the message today? Now, I know you already asked that at lunch, all right? It's like, what are we having for lunch today? Roast preacher. <laughs> yeah, that, that happens, doesn't it? Go on, it's all right. What do you think about the message today? Do you think that that is something we ought to consider? Have the conversation, okay? Get it out there. Guys, it would be perfect if we led the way. But it doesn't always happen that way. So ladies, sometimes you have to step forward. Did you know half the time that Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned, Priscilla's name gets mentioned first? And that's really rare in Scripture. It's really rare in that culture of the first century. The reason why could be one of two reasons. Maybe a combination of both. One, she's from aristocracy, so she's got a social position that's higher than her husband. Or it could be that she was the most forward in the gospel work. It could be that she was the one that engaged church life in their living room. It could be that she recognized the tent-making business was far more than making tents. It was kingdom work. So ladies, it might be that you have to step forward and have the conversation. So what do you think about the message today? It might be that families sit down together and say, okay, I'm wrestling with this. I don't see how this is going to work out too well. But what did you guys get out of the message? What does God want us to do as a family with that story? What's the challenge for us? Well, Dad, we ought to, we ought to open our house. Okay, we'll open our house, but that means you've got to get your nasty shoes and socks and underwear off the floor every now and then. Okay, that means we're going to have to open the house and have dinners together. That means you're going to have to do your homework a little bit early so that we can have the evenings to engage in ministry. Okay, that means that we may have to cut out some extra stuff that makes us so busy so that we can simple our life so that we can engage our neighbors, invite them over. I'm interested in the conversation. Are you willing to have it? Throw it out there. And then number three. Just purpose to live intentionally. But this is what we're going to do. We're going to live our life for the purpose of the gospel. We're going to live our life to have the greatest impact for the kingdom of God as possible. We're not going to let anything rise above God, and we're going to make sure that God's in the midst of everything that we do, and we're going to see it that way, whether it's school, work, pleasure, we're going to see God in the midst of it. And that, my friends, is the kind of life that people talk about Glorious terms unto God. It's the life that we're called to live. Oh, may God find us faithful to that. Let's pray together. In this moment, Lord, I pray that your spirit is speaking and stirring and moving and that this will be the opportunity for some to come to faith in you, for others to grow in you, and still others to be disciplers of you and your word and your treasure. So the people in this room can make a mighty impact. And they have been empowered to do that. I pray that you'll find us responsive. Just obedient and leave the results to you. Lord, would you raise up the Aquilas of the room and raise up in this room the Priscillas 
who will make the kingdom impact. And may they have the power of one togetherness. And I pray it for the glory of King Jesus, in whose name we pray and live for.